watch cartoons when you got here this morning, did you? So, <clears throat> most of you already know this, I love to golf. If that's a new revelation to you, you must have been hiding under a rock somewhere. And I went golfing on Friday, uh, Tim and I went, and I kind of overdid it. Um, we, rode a, we rode in a cart, but I'm getting older, and so my body doesn't behave like it did when I was younger. And after the, the we, we golfed two rounds, and so after the, after the end of the day and being in and out of the cart and walking and everything, my knee was was a little swollen, and you probably can't, it looks like it's really swollen right now, I have a brace on, that's why it looks so big, it's not as bad, I woke up this morning, and there wasn't a lot of pain in, in my knee, but I thought, you know what, my wife wants to go jogging this afternoon, and if I don't wear a knee brace while I'm preaching, I'm not going to go jogging in this afternoon, and you would think that that is, oh, Steve, you're so wonderful, you want to go jogging with your wife, it's actually self-centered, because if I can't go jogging with my wife because I have a sore knee, she won't let me go golfing because of my sore knee. So it's actually self, selfish that I'm actually going jogging with her today. But I realized something this past yesterday and, and late Friday, and that is when you get older, it hurts more. And when you realize that things hurt that didn't used to hurt, and you're getting in that older range, things start, things start coming into perspective. I have, uh, I have a brother-in-law, Jeanette's brother, um, a few weeks ago, I think, a m month ago, something like that, um, he, well, his best friend died. Now, Jeanette's brother is a, a few years older than I am, I think three or four years older than I am, and his best friend is about that same age, and it puts things in perspective. Now, granted, he had some health issues that he was dealing with. Um, in fact, he was not, I think Jeanette told me, he was not supposed to live past about 30. So for him to make it to 50, 50 plus uh, is, is a miracle of God. But even when somebody who's remotely close to your age dies, you start to think about life a little bit more. It's amazing how death causes you to think about life. And, and one of the things that, as I was contemplating, you know, my getting older and being a little more sore than usual, um, and, and then my brother-in-law, his best friend dying, I started thinking about my life and what my life consists of. As you probably guess, consists of preparing messages for Sunday mornings and preaching Sunday mornings. Consists of trying to be a good husband to my wife and a good father to Eli. Consists of going golfing when I have the time. Uh, consists of praying for people. There's a lot of things that my life consists of. But the big question that I had to ask myself was, what I guess the best way of putting it would, would be to look at it from uh, uh, Maximus, uh, Cornelius Maximus, I don't know, I think that's his name, in the movie Gladiator. Uh, I love that movie, it was, it was a great movie. And he, he says something that really kind of defines what I'm trying to get at. He says that what we do in this life echoes in eternity. What we do in this life has a direct relation to eternity. And not just, um, you know, how much we spend in prayer and how much time we spend reading our Bibles or how many times a week we go to church. It's a whole lot more than just this to-do list, God's to-do list that, he, that we think we need to mark off. There's a lot more to it than that. When we think about death and we think about eternity, we have to ask ourselves the question, if we really are concerned about God and, and our lives lining up with the will of God, we have to ask this question. When it's all said and done, what will we leave behind? 
what will our legacy, our lasting legacy be? I want to look at a story, uh, and I think the, the Bible, it's full of good examples of everyday life that we can learn from. And we have been going through kind of the books of the Bible. Um, we spent a couple of series on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Then we spent a series talking about the book of Joshua. The last three weeks, we are in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is, in my perspective from this, the book of Judges is, just shows us how bad we can really be. Because the book of Judges shows a spiral of sin, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. I have not much of a front yard. It's rocks all over the place. I have a strip of grass in between the road and the sidewalk. And, but it, underneath the two, I have two trees in my front yard, and underneath those two trees are just rock. That's all there is rock. And it is amazing how I can go out and I can grab a weed, and I can pull it up, but if I don't get the roots of the weed, guess what comes back? And, and another thing that is interesting is, if I don't go out there every couple of days, it quickly becomes overgrown with weeds. Don't drive by my house, because my front yard looks terrible. Because I haven't had a chance to go out there, because all day Friday I spent golfing. Go figure. Oh, but wait a minute, Pastor Steve, you had, you had all day yesterday to do it too. Yeah, I spent that in the backyard working on my workshop. Got to have priorities, right? Um, <clears throat> but the, 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 the idea is um, we, we have to get to a place in our lives where we are willing to do what it takes to leave a lasting legacy. And there's a story in the Bible that I think helps us. Um, it's more of a what not to do than it is what to do when it comes to um, not just leaving a lasting legacy, but, but ending well. Everybody, it doesn't do any good how good you start if you end poorly. A few years back, there was a Super Bowl. Um, it was uh, the Patriots, and it was Atlanta. And if you are a football fan, you probably could tell me what happened in that. The first half of the game, it was all Atlanta. In fact, they had one of the largest leads at that time that nobody had ever come back from. And the New England Patriots said, oh, no, 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 no. We can't let that happen. And they had the largest comeback in Super Bowl history to win. Does that mean the Falcons weren't a good team? Absolutely not. They were a phenomenal team. They wouldn't have been in the Super Bowl if they weren't a good team. But what they did, or what they didn't do, is they didn't finish well. And that is the story we're going to look at and how that could come back to Come back to be a bad thing in our lives. Judges chapter 8, verses 22 through 28. Here's what it says. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Be our ruler. You and your sons and your grandsons will be our ruler. For you have rescued us from Midian. Okay, let's, first of all, you're probably thinking, that's not the story of Gideon. You guys have heard the story of Gideon, right? How God goes to Gideon and says, hey, Gideon, uh, I want you to, you're going you're gonna to do some great things. He, even, the angel of the Lord even calls Gideon mighty warrior. Now, this mighty warrior, he was hiding. He was hiding. And here's why he was hiding. The Midianites would come in after the Israelites would, um, would you know, would plant a seed and, and, and get the, the crops going. And when it's harvest time, the Midianites would come in and steal or, steal or burn all of their produce. They would, they would either steal or kill all of their livestock. 
and the Israelites would be hiding in caves. And that was the that was happened for for many years, seven years, before the Israelites decided to do something about it. And so what Gideon was doing is he was threshing. And what you, what you do with threshing is you beat it, and then in the, in the, um, the, the dust from it would flow. You do it on a high mountain, so you had lots of breeze. Well, he was down in a wine press, which is down in, usually in a valley where there is no breeze. It made it ten times harder. So when, when the angel Lord came to Gideon and said, mighty warrior, it was almost a joke. A mighty warrior who's scared. But then we know how the story goes. Gideon takes up and he, he asks God to prove himself. And I don't want to get into that because that's not part of the story. But, uh, you know, listen, when God tells you to do something, if you're 100% sure that God told you to do it, which is where Gideon was, don't ask God to prove himself. That is doubt. That is uncertainty. Now, if you're looking for the right answer, God is more than able and, and desires to, to help you see what is right. But if you know what you should do and you're looking for uh, a second opinion apart from God, what you're telling God is you really don't want to do it. And you're trying to find a way out. And I think that's where, where Gideon was. It doesn't come out and say that, but you could get that idea hey, God, okay, if this is really you and you really want me to do this, which the angel of the Lord, listen, most of us, if the angel of the Lord appeared to us and says, hey, I want you to do this, you would say, okay, no problem, I'm going to go do it. And that's what happened with Gideon, except for he says, well, if it's really you, I'll let the ground be wet with dew and the fleece be dry, and that happened, and then let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry, and that happened. And finally Gideon, after God slapped him in the face a couple of times, decided, I guess I need to do this. And we see Gideon go in, and God cuts the number down from 10,000 to 300, and God does a miracle. Everybody's ex everybody is ecstatic because Gideon, through the, with the help of God, defeated the Midianites. And, and we will read at the end of the passage that we're going to read that the Midianites never recovered from this defeat. That's the story. How many people have ever heard that story before? How many people have said, that is a wonderful story. I wish God would use me like that. Nobody wants to be used with God like that? <laughs> I would like to. I mean, listen, 300 people doing a major, winning a major victory, that's pretty awesome. And that's the story we hear, and that's the story we teach our children, which is not a bad thing. There's a lot of good principles we could pull out of that story that could encourage us, that give us strength, give us promise. But that is not the end of the story of Gideon. His ending was not nearly as praiseworthy as his beginning. And that's, that's where we're, we're at. So the Israelites see Gideon. He does this great thing by defeating the Midianites. And they say, be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers. For you have rescued us from Midian. Now, the idea between him saying, the Israelites saying, Gideon, be our ruler, and your son, and your grandson, they're kind of establishing Gideon as a monarch. Even before the kings were established with Saul and David, they were telling Gideon, be our, you're a great ruler, be, be our king. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor my son. The Lord will rule over you. Way to go, Gideon. You tell him how it is. I'm not going to rule over you. You need to have God rule over you. But not, no, 10 seconds later, after making that very statement, he starts to, consume, to, to come, succumb to the pressures of being victorious. He says this, however, I do have one request. Have you ever had a however moment in your life with God? God has done something great. 
and, and, and you are like, man, this is good. Me and God, we're on the same page, and he's using me, and, and boom, this is awesome. And then you have, however, well, God can use me, but I want to be, be, be obedient to God. And then again, what am I going to miss out on if I do? Those moments in our life, what we're really telling God is that we don't want, we really don't want him to be everything in our life. We want him to be number one, but we don't want to, him to be everything in our life. And there's a problem with that. If we read the Ten Commandments, he says, don't have any other gods in my presence. I don't like, the way I learned it, don't have any other gods before me, which we think order. God's number one, and then we have number two, and number three, and number four. And as long as we don't take any of those two, three, and four and put them in before God, then we're okay. But it's really better translated, don't have any other gods in my presence. So God is saying, I don't want to just be number one. I want to be everything. Number one, and number two, and number three, and number four, and number five. That's what God is saying. Yet we sometimes want to throw that, however, right in there. So Gideon's response is, however, I do have one request. And it seems logical that, that after being a valiant champion and getting rid of the Midianites, that they should do something for Gideon, right? I mean, it seems if somebody comes and rescues you, wouldn't you want to help them and give them something? However, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from your fallen enemies, the enemies being Ishmaelites, all wore gold earrings. Gladly, they replied, they spread out a cloak, and each one threw in a gold earring he had gathered from the plunder. The weight of the gold earring was 43 pounds, not including the royal ornaments and pendants, the purple clothing worn by the king of Midian, or the chains around the neck of their camels. If Gideon was really concerned and wanted to give God the credit, don't you think he would have said, however, I do have one request. Give God all of these things. Instead, he didn't do that. He said, give me all of these things. Maybe he had something noble in purpose for these items. Maybe he was really going to do something of grandeur with these items to promote God. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Let's see what he does. Let's see what he does. Verse 27. Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Okay, um, an ephod. It's kind of like a, a, a long vest, sleeveless vest. That's kind of what it is, a long sleeveless vest. Um, the, the, the priests used to wear them, and they were, there was usually something on the shoulders that had the 12, had um, jewels, the 12 representing the 12 tribes on it, really ornate and fancy. And it must be because with that 20 or 40, what it was, 40-something pounds of gold, it was pretty nice. Gideon made the sacred ephod from the gold, put it in his hometown. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it and became a trap for Gideon and his family. Funny, I don't remember them teaching me that in Sunday school. You know, I, Gideon, one of the reasons I love the story of Gideon is because it kind of like the, I, I like the story of Peter, is because you see how frail these people really are. Peter, I mean, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul too, but I have a hard time relating with him. Because although he says 
that I struggle within, the sin I, I don't want to do, I do, and the good I, I want to do, I don't do. You see this internal struggle with him. You don't see a whole lot of external issues that he's dealing with. He talks about the, the, the thorn in his side. But Peter, listen, he had the opportunity to walk on water, and he started to sink. He had the opportunity to stand before his enemies and proclaim that Jesus truly is God, and he denies he knows Jesus. In the same, in the same conversation, he tells Jesus, he speaks the words inspired by the Holy Spirit and the words inspired by Satan. Those are Jesus' words that he said. And so you get this idea that these are, these are fallen people who are doing just the best they can. And that's where Gideon, I think, is. Here's the problem with Gideon. He allowed his experience to run his life and not God's. When God becomes small in our experience, he becomes distant in our heart. When God becomes small in our experience, he becomes distant in our hearts. If your life experiences lead you to a place where God is not a part of it or has minimal part, a part to it, eventually God has become, become distant from your heart. Oh, you know, I go to church and... And I even read my Bible on a regular basis, maybe not every day, but on a regular basis. And I try and do a very good job of leading my family. But when I go to work, you know what? It's hard to take Jesus to work with me. Because people don't, people don't understand my relationship with Jesus. People don't, they think I'm going to be, they think I'm going to be some religious nut if I take Jesus to work with me. And so what happens? You end up distancing yourself you, God is not part of your experience there, and it causes a, distan a distancing in your heart. And it doesn't matter what, where that is. That could, be, that could be at home. That could be doing your hobbies. It's amazing. Um, when I go golfing and you get paired up with people you don't know, uh, eventually, usually, eventually, the conversation gets to, so what do you do? What do you do for a living? And when I was a youth pastor, and uh, I was, it was much, I was really young, just green out of college, and people would, uh, people asked me what I do. This was before I actually was golfing. People would ask me what I do. I would say, I'm a communicator. Because I didn't want to tell people I was a pastor. What do I do? I communicate. I'm a communicator. Well, now I'm not. That, that, now I'm. I'm past that stage. I just say I'm a pastor of a local church. You know why I do that? Because I love, especially golfing. I love to see the looks on people's face, especially those who have been using foul language in my presence. So, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor of a local church down here. Oh, I'm sorry. What you're going to be a hypocrite now? I don't say that to them, but I'm thinking that. So now you want to be a hypocrite. Now that you know I'm a pastor, it's time to be a hypocrite. Friday when we went golfing, we got paired up with this, this uh, older gentleman and his son-in-law. And his son-in-law, you know, he looked like he would be somebody who would cuss like a sailor. But when we were, when we were golfing, he didn't, he didn't cuss very much at all. His father-in-law, on the other hand, Every other word. And he frequently used the F word. Frequently. Do I get offended by that? No, I would rather have him be honest of who he is. Then, do I enjoy it when he says that? Absolutely not. But, listen, if people change around me, I have no way of really sharing with them what they need to hear. I mean, when people are hypocritical, you never know what's going on on the inside. When we 
are, when we exclude Jesus from any area of our life, he becomes distant in our heart. So we need to work on making Jesus a part of every aspect of our life. Our home life. Our church life. Our work life. When we go visit those relatives who, who think Jesus is, uh, is for losers. When we go down to the grocery store. Wherever you go, take Jesus with you. Keep him close and in your experiences. And when he's in your experiences, he will not deviate from the closeness to your heart. Matthew 15, 1 through 9 says this. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. So these guys were going specifically from Jerusalem to go see Jesus. They asked him. I love it when, when the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question. Because you know two things. One, they're trying to trap him. And two, they're not going to be successful. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commands of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. There's been a lot of... uh, Conspiracy theories about this COVID-19 being a population control. Uh, You know, conspiracy theory, okay, whatever. You want population control? Just all you have to do is just uh, put everybody to death who disobeys or dishonors their father and mother. That's real population control. But you disrespect... Disrespectfully, a father and mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. We want, there's a danger in our hearts being distant from God's heart. What happens to the ground if it goes a long time without rain? It becomes hard, and you you can't grow anything. I'm, I spent many, many years in Georgia, and there's this thing in Georgia called red clay. And you, you, you Midwesterners, you don't know anything about red clay. Nothing. I don't care. I, somebody was, I don't remember who it was, was talking about red clay and how they had this little, they, they were doing a digging and they ran into this little patch of red clay and how when it gets wet, you know why they call it red clay? Because it's like clay. Have you ever, have you ever taking clay and gotten it wet and it molds and really you know what else it does it gets really sticky when i was working in georgia i would wear boots if i knew i was working in the red clay and they'd come up to about here and it didn't matter how deep my foot got into the it could only get this deep my foot got that deep into the red clay i would take a step and my boot literally would come right and my foot would come right out of the boot the boot would stay there It is nasty, nasty stuff. When it it dries out, it gets so hard, you have to, you have to almost get a jackhammer to it. Because it just, you, I remember having to dig a trench about this wide. It was only about 10 feet long. It took me three hours. Maybe because I'm a wimp. That's because it was so hard. And that's what happens when we distance ourselves from, from God's heart. 
from the experiences, not allowing God to be part of our experiences. It's like removing the rain from the land, and the longer it sits without rain, the harder and harder and harder it gets. And then what, what ends up happening is that we end up doing lip service for God. We start being like the Pharisees and living a hypocritical. We come to church and maybe read our Bible every once in a while and, and pray before our meals, but our hearts are so far from God. And here's, here's the amazing thing is that most of the time, if it started with an intimate, close relationship with God, most of the time, we don't even realize we're drifting that far away from God. It's like one day things are great, and, and man, man, that was a powerful service, and God really moved, and God spoke to me. Next thing you know, like, why am I even going to church? And you just don't realize because it's a gradual, it's a gradual thing that happens in your heart and in your life. Where you used to take Jesus everywhere with you. And then suddenly you go places and Jesus gets left at home. When God becomes small in our experiences, he becomes distant in our hearts. Now, I want, I want you to understand <clears throat> when, when Jesus was condemning the Pharisees, it wasn't him condemning the law. Okay? He wasn't saying, oh, you evil Pharisees, you're breaking the law, so, um, so shame on you. Or, you evil Pharisees, you need to be more compassionate and break the law so that you could do. That's not what Jesus was doing. What Jesus was doing is he was calling out their hypocrisy. Saying, I gave you a law, or God gave you a law, and you twist the law to fit your own means. In Bible times, they didn't really have a retirement program. So when you got old and you couldn't work anymore, your children were the ones who supported you. So once you got to the age where you couldn't work anymore, your children came in and you lived with them, or your parents, probably your children were living with you, and then they just inherited anything, and you just stayed where you were. You, you, what the, what the Pharisees were doing is they were saying, I can't give to my parents and take care of my parents because what I wanted to give and take care of them with, I have devoted to God. If you really devote something to God, you're going to take care of the people who need to be taken care of. Jesus makes that pretty clear when he talks about the sheep and the goats. The only difference between the sheep and the goats had nothing to do with their desire to please God. It had to do with how they pleased God. By loving other people. The sheep loved other people and did things for other people. The goats, although they said they loved other people and they said they loved God, they didn't do anything. They wished them well and may God bless you and take care of you. And you know they did nothing. Does that mean... That we have to obey the law to please God. Does that mean we have to obey the law to be saved? Does that mean we have to obey the law and check off these little, these little bookmarks, uh, these little boxes to make sure that we're doing okay? The law was never meant to save anyone. The law was meant to show us how bad we really were. The law was never meant to, to get us into heaven. The law was established to show us that we can't get into heaven on our own. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says this, The law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 
Does that mean we don't try? Of course not. That means we realize that our efforts will never be enough because our efforts prove, prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, we cannot live up to the law. The only thing that can save us is the one who has never broken the law, and that is Jesus. That right there is where we stand. You will never be able, you'll never be good enough. But you can rest in the promises of the one who was good enough. Obeying the law, obeying the law will never lead to a heart close to God. But a heart close to God will always lead to obeying the law. Let me say that again so you understand. Obeying the law will never lead to a heart close to God. But a heart close to God will always lead to obeying the law. What's it say? What does that, what does that mean? It means simply put, I don't care how many things you do right, it's never going to draw you closer to God. But when you draw closer to God, it's going to lead you to do things that are right. The law was never meant to draw us closer to God, but to show us our need for God. When our experiences are based simply on obeying God with a heart, without a heart for God, we are not pleasing God. When our experiences are based on simply obeying God without a heart for God, we are not pleasing God. This is where the Pharisees were. Their desire was to obey God, and that is not a bad thing. Our desires should be to please God or to obey God. But if our obeying God is not grounded in a heart for God, we are not pleasing God. I don't care how much you obey. It's kind of a motivation thing. There's a lot of people who, who do what's right, not because it's right, but because they don't want to be seen as somebody who's doing wrong. They do it right, not because it's right. They do it right because it benefits them for doing it right. I told you earlier about going jogging with Jeanette. Why did I say I wanted to go jogging with Jeanette? Because I love my wife and I knew that she would be pleased if I went jogging for, with her. Which of those things are true. But the, the motivation behind it wasn't just to go jogging and make her happy. It was because I knew that if I went jogging for her, with her, she'd let me go golfing. Yes, I go jogging with her because I love her. I know it's the exercise, and, and I know she'd enjoy it. But there's also a part of selfishness in that. And what happens if we don't deal with that? It because uh, the weeds start growing. And with, uh, without weed control, whether that's on your hands and knees pulling the weed, whether it's spray, without weed control, it will quickly overtake your life. Sometimes we think we are pleasing God, but in reality, he is displeased with our actions only because they are not from a heart of God. Gideon's story started out great. He started out on the right path. He started out doing what God wanted him to do, but it didn't end well. didn't end well. And, and, and there's a tragedy in that. First, he was reluctant to obey God, but God got over that. God got past that. God showed him, hey, I'm going to use you, Gideon. Just, just have faith. That was his first major issue, stumbling block he had to get past. The second one is that he showed that while he didn't desire the title king, he wanted to live as one. Remember we read in the verse that he says, you don't, don't make me king or my son. However, you can give me this. I don't think this was a one-time event, although we only read about it once. I don't think 
it was just a one-time. Because typically when heroes come back from war, leading a great campaign, not only do they get some of the plunder, but people are so thankful for, for freeing them from the, the, the torture that they were under that they would give them gifts freely. I don't think, I think in, in his conscious mind, he didn't want to be called king, but in his heart, he wanted to live like one. How many of us fail in that too? Now, not necessarily your whole life is surrounded by, I don't want the appearance of the king, but I want to live like one. But we let that creep into areas of our lives. I don't, I, don't, I don't need a title, but I do need things. I don't necessarily need a, a, a promotion. Just give me the respect I deserve. I don't remember ever reading, reading that in the Bible anywhere. While I do believe you should freely give respect, you should not freely demand respect. Now, you should teach respect to your children. That's why we make sure Eli is, says thank you, and you're welcome. And every time, every time I burp, even before I have a chance, I'm a guy, I burp, I'm sorry, I don't know. Even before I have a chance to say excuse me, Eli says, excuse you. Sometimes he, he, his brain doesn't work as fast as his mouth, and he says, excuse me. We need to teach respect to our children and, 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 and demand res- that they give respect. But when we start saying, you need to treat me this way, you're starting to sound like Gideon. And what happened with Gideon? We, we find that, that Gideon, even though he had these great victories missed the importance of a of an ending that praises Jesus an ending that promoted godliness he started like a mighty warrior but he did not end like a warrior for god what he ended up doing is he ended up making this this ephod and it caused his family and the Israelites to start worshiping it. There are only two places that we see leaders creating an image and leading the Israelites to worship it. It's right here. And and Aaron does it in the book of Exodus. He creates, I love this, he creates this golden calf in the fire. And when Moses confronts him about it, it's these people you, you see here. They did it. And when, when that didn't work, he's, I still, I, I can't, this is just great. I just threw the, the gold in the fire and out come this calf. That sounds like something my son would say. Now, granted, their intentions were noble. They, they worshipped that as the God who delivered them out. They worshipped that. But God was very clear about worshiping man-made things. And that's what happened here with with Gideon. He didn't end very well. Now, does that mean that he died and went to hell? No. But if you you read chapter 9, you find out that Because of his unfaithfulness at the end of his life, you find that his son, his son from a concubine, killed all of his other children so that he could be leader, so he could be ruler. What are the decisions we're making now and at the end of our life? I know some of you are thinking, end of my life, man, I... I just turned 25. I'm going to live forever. 
you, you never know. What decisions are we making right now? And how will those decisions affect the end of our life and those who follow us? I'm going to make another reference to golfing because that's... I was... Um, this was a while back. I was, being, I was playing golf on a regular basis. I mean, I was out there two, three times a week. Um, I would even go to the driving range and practice. I mean, I was just... I was, and I was playing my best golf ever. And I had um, first five or six holes, I had a par and a birdie and a par and a birdie and a par. And so I was like two or three under after six holes. If those of you who don't know golf, that's really good. Okay? And as I, I, I kind of cooled off, stopped hitting birdies, and then I hit a, a bogey in there somewhere. And it comes to the last couple of holes. <clears throat> And, uh, and it was a par three. And so, so golf is this game where they have this, this idea of how you should play. So the idea consists of there's par threes, par fours, and par fives. Every hole, the idea is you get on the green and you two putt. So if it's a par five, you have three shots to get on the green, and you two-putt, and you par that hole. If it's a par four, you have two shots to get on the green. You two-putt, and you par that hole. If it's a par three, you have one shot to get on the green. You two-putt, and you walk out with a par. So I'm on a par three. And, you know, I'm, I'm below par right now. And I get up in the tee box, and first of all, don't get too cocky. God has a way of humiliating you. Get up on there, and I'm swinging the ball smooth, and I hit that ball, and it took off right at the flag. I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to birdie this hole too. And if I'm really good, I'm going to put a hole in one. It didn't go in the hole. so. But it landed about eight feet away. I had yet to, to miss anything inside of six feet. So eight feet, I was thinking, man, I could still put this in and get a birdie and, and make my score even better. I get up there and I, figure, I do all my things. I read the break. I figure how, if I'm uphill or downhill, I can be, and I, how hard I hit the ball. I do all of that. I get up there and I hit. And I didn't hit it very well because I ended up this far away. That's not very far. It's only about two and a half feet. I can make this easy. I get up there, and it goes, and it hits the edge of the cup, and goes this way, and doesn't go in. It doesn't matter how close I get. I could get in the green in regulation, and that's great. But if I three-putt, I just blew that hole. And I three-putted three holes in a row. I went from two under par the last three holes to one over par. That was my best round I played yet. One over par. Why? It wasn't because I couldn't hit the green. I was hitting the green in regulation. I couldn't three putt. I couldn't close the deal. The end of that round, I don't care how big and how wonderful the beginning of that round was, the end of that round costed me the whole round because all I was thinking about from now on was how I three putted three holes in a row and ruined my chance par in 18 holes. And yeah, is that a big deal? Well, yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> but in the scheme of life, for most of you, is that a big deal? No, because I'll just go and I'll play another round and I'll play really good golf at some point in time and, and maybe do it again. But in, in our lives, when there's a whole lot more at stake, is that a big deal, how we finish? Yes, it is. So how do we finish strong? How do we avoid the three-putt? Don't three-putt. Let me tell you, don't three-putt. How do we avoid that? I think one person in the, book, in the Bible could really give us some indication as to how to avoid three-putt in our lives. And that is David, King David. Again, King David is one of those guys I can relate with. Because King David, 
screwed up big time. And he screwed up multiple times. But here's something that, it, that, that David can teach us, is that he didn't live in the past. He didn't live in the things he did wrong. He moved on. Now, some people say at the end of his life, he lived a three-putt at the end of his life, too, because he had a lot of bad things happen at the end of his life. But there's one thing that the Bible made clear about David, and that it was he was a man after God's own heart. If we, want, if we don't want God to be distant in our hearts, let's take David as an example. There's, three, there's two things I want to look at at David's life. One is that while he wasn't perfect, he always returned to God. He was not perfect by any means, but he always returned. Sometimes he needed a little bit of prodding. Sometimes he needed a little bit of, uh, of kicking in the rear end to get in the right, right place, but he always returned to God. I don't know where you're at, what life is. Some of you have, are in situations that you're innocent and it's just bad situations. Don't, don't just stay there. Live in a godly, live out godliness in that bad situation. Some of you have made mistakes and you've done terrible things. And you, you wish you could just remember, forget about them altogether, and they wouldn't be part of your life. God's saying, you don't need to carry that around with you. Okay, so you had a bad first nine holes. Guess what? You still have another nine to play. Avoid the three putts, and you're good to go. We, we, we don't need to concern ourselves with where we're at as much as where we're going. Because God will, God will lead you where you need to go. And he'll use you where you're at. But if you're so busy worrying about the situation you find yourself in and how bad today is and how you, how you wish it was different, you can't hear God directing you in the place he wants you to go. Guys, nobody wants to be around somebody who complains all the time. Except for maybe other people who complain all the time. I don't know. Allow God to use you. No matter what your past is, you have a future. And God wants to use that. He wants to use you in that future. He wants your ending to be better than your beginning, no matter how good your beginning is. And you're never, you're never too old or too young to start. I love Pastor Marcia. Where is she? What's sitting right there? There she is. Pastor Marcia makes me feel young. Not saying you're old, Pastor Marcia. Don't get that wrong. Actually, sometimes she makes me feel old. Because see here, walking around spring, and I'm like all lipping over like, oh, my, my leg. She keeps thanking me um, about letting her come and be a part of our leadership team and be a, on staff as part of our pastoral team. And I keep telling her, you don't need to thank me. I should be thanking you. She's a valuable part of what we're doing here. Oh, I'm just an old lady. Well, I don't care if that's true or not, but you're still being used by God. Had a, um, had somebody come up to me the other day and say, Eli is such a blessing. Oh, yeah? Here, take him for a couple weeks. We'll see if you, th if you think the same thing. <clears throat> Eli because of his bubble personality and, and, and he just loves people, he's affectionate, he makes a positive impact in people's lives because of his personality. Now, he's not, dis he's not thinking in his mind, 
well, I need to be this way so that people will think I'm like me and think I'm good. No. But it's, a, it's to show you how God can use people. It doesn't matter if they're four years old or they, they're 84 years old. I almost said 94, but I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Open mouth, insert foot. <laughs> God wants to use you where you're at. Don't let your past or your current situations think that you are somehow no longer viable for God to use. And, and make, make it your goal, make your goal to end the better than you began. And yeah, sure, like David, you're going to make mistakes all along the way. But we can do one of two things. We can either let those mistakes prohibit us from being a blessing to others and obedient to God. Or we can let those mistakes teach us how to better love other people and how to better obey God. Those are your two choices. Well, I know which one I'm going to choose. I want to take a, a few minutes and give you a chance to, to talk with God. And... <clears throat> Again, I don't want you to stand there and listen to my prayer, okay? I want you to talk with God as I'm praying. Maybe you're dealing with something that you just know how to handle it. Let God speak to you. Maybe you feel like you screwed up so much, there's no way God could, could ever do something great with your life. Throw that lie of Satan out the window and let God show you what he wants to do in and through you. Don't live in the past mistakes. Finish strong. And let God do some amazing things in your life. It doesn't matter if you're too young to say your ABCs or too old to remember your ABCs. Let God use you and avoid this three part of your life stand with me as I'm praying I want you to, to talk to God or maybe you know somebody you need to talk to God on their behalf but speak to him he knows your needs he knows your desires he knows where you need strength he knows where you need encouragement he knows where you need discipline We lift our lives to you, O oh God. We call out to you. Our lives have been screwed up. We continually make that you desire to use us. You desire for us to forget, forget the condemnation of the past and to live in freedom so that you can use us to do great things. Be our source of strength and power to do more than we can do on our own. Guide us in your footsteps. Let your word be a light into our path so that we can lead others to you. those of you who are here and those of you who are listening online God has great things in store for you but we need to persevere we need to listen so we can follow in his steps so we can have a heart close to him Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being close to us. We thank you for caring about us enough to pay the ultimate price. Walk with us. Holding our hands. Sometimes carrying us if need be. 
be close to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Every week, I see more and more faces out here, and it makes me happy because I'm tired of, well, I haven't had to preach to puppets in a while, so be blessed. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.